to me was about being a sponge, soaking up as much of it as I possibly can, learning as much as I possibly can, reading, researching, and getting to know my teams as, as quickly as I possibly could. University of Alabama's Overall College of Business is Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories from those people both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens on the show today, Jeremy D. Piazza. Jeremy is the CFO of Ford Construction in Birmingham, Alabama, and is a graduate of the Colorado College of Business. During our conversation, we talked about his personal journey from graduation all the way to becoming a CFO, as well as some of the struggles he faced along the way. I hope you enjoy. Once people establish themselves, obviously professionally, but also establish roots in a certain area, obviously today's day and age, people move around a little bit more than they used to, but mm-hmm. obviously you graduated, stayed in Alabama, stayed yeah. in Birmingham, really set yourself up for success here. Once you take care of the personal, personal and professional thing, you start looking outside, what else can you contribute to in society? Mm-hmm. Not only in community organizations, but also other maybe charitable organizations mm-hmm. as well. What was that stuff like for you and like getting involved in things that were not professional in nature, but something that you believed in yourself? You know, that was, it, that, that always felt very natural to me. I actually was always drawn more to organizations that, that, you know, that fit my, my moral compass and my vision for my rules of life and, and less attracted to professional organizations. Now I've, I've been a part of both professional organizations are great. They give you the network that you need to sort of expand your career and and grow your business. And those are very, very important, but I was always naturally inclined to volunteer my time to work with organizations that, you know, that represented a rule of life that I wanted to follow. So I've, I've always been involved. I, I, as, as long as I can remember as a young adult, I would, I've been involved. I was involved in our schools and, and school boards. I would sit on committees at church to sort of help our leadership in our church community and got involved in organizations that, that contributed to, you know, the, the, the improvement of, of young men. Those were, those were the things that I've, I've always been attracted to. When you look at Birmingham, Alabama, there's a long, long history that I was not aware of until I came here, yeah. to be all honest. Coming from Colorado, you're just like, oh, Alabama, you got the University of Alabama, and that's about it. There's a lot more to Alabama right. than meets the eye, yeah. that's for right. sure. And Birmingham, I believe, is one of those hidden gems in a city where you got this huge historical presence, but not enough recognition, where it's starting to become more recognizable. The world games were here. You have a lot of redevelopment going on. What have you witnessed since of Birmingham's growth while your time has been here? Well, I've witnessed how philanthropic the city is. You know, it always surprises me to see when you look at it per capita, and I'm not going to recall the numbers because I'll recall them incorrectly, but there is a, there's a tremendous amount of, of willingness in this community to give back. And it's both financial and time. And I think that's, a, you know, that's Open has been eye-opening to me to be involved in this community and to sort of see the participation that that it gets from you know from from its members. You know, people will give here. This this community is is entrenched with people who care, and you see that in you know in the levels of contributions that people make to the organizations of their choice. But you also see it in their willingness to help their neighbor 
And that, that has been really, really eye opening to me as I've, as I've grown up in this city. So now I want to sort of take a step back and sort of go back to that whole, like you faced a couple of recessions in your lifetime. Obviously we're sort of blown through the 2010s, but obviously yeah. growth, the business, everything's going well. What was the growth like for you? Obviously you were quite young when you mm-hmm. entered your position at this point. In all honesty, how many people get to that level of leadership until maybe they're mid forties, if not their fifties, and you entered it before that point in your time, you grew a lot, but also the business grew a lot with you. What was yeah. that like adapting to not only a larger business to run, but also more people to manage and more people that your decisions affected? It was thrilling. I mean, it was, it was really exciting. I, I enjoyed the challenge at the time. I think I was in my early thirties when I took this career, this, this job and changed my direction in my career. And you're right. I mean, that's 10, 11, 12 years removed from, from a college degree. It, it was, it was thrilling. It was exciting. And like I'd said earlier, I, it, to me, it was about being a sponge, soaking up as much of it as I possibly can, learning as much as I possibly can, reading, researching, and getting to know my teams as, as quickly as I possibly could very enjoyable part of my life. A lot of people I've found, especially leaders in business, have some ways by which they keep up learning. If that's reading, mm-hmm. if that's mm-hmm. attending seminars, if that's going to conferences, yeah. all of that is resources. Heck, Ted posts everything that you can imagine on a son online nowadays. What were a few of those resources that you really hinged upon during that time in the past decade or so? Well, professionally, I was, I was leaning on the Wall Street Journal a lot, you know, keeping track of the markets through reliable sources of media that, that I felt like were, were going to be a little less slanted. I mean, all of them have more slant today than, than they did, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But, you know, I, a student of the financial markets, you kind of have to find a couple of resources that you'll go to. So I was leaning on a, a daily read menu of things like the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, the Kiplinger, C, you know, CSNBC. CNBC and and I was I was just at at you know and even today just gathering as much of that information as I possibly can in order to help form my decisions as I kind of led let you know it led me through the the accounting period. Now the pandemic hits, twenty twenty hits, and we have this thing that we've never seen before in our right. lifetimes, and no one really could predict it. Obviously, people are always like, oh, there was one imminent or one was going to come at some point. We just could never tell just like a recession, but this one was different because you had a societal impression that was causing businesses to have to have a reaction to a recession, but it wasn't really a recession in normal terms. What was that like for you guys and how that affected the business, especially from your perspective? You know, in our business during those years, we were, you know, we were as, as, as equipped as we thought we could ever be. I mean, we had, we, at the moment in time, we had a very seasoned chief executive. We had some young next tier level leadership in very key positions. None of them had quite seen anything like this before, but we, but we still had wisdom in, in our leadership team. And um, I, I would say without doubt, we all had what I would describe as a guarded confidence. We knew we were capable of navigating this. We were just trying our best to determine what we were going to do first, next, third. And so 
at the moment, it was, you know, you, you kind of have this, you know, hold on, you know, holy crap, kind of what do we, you know, where, you know, what, what's the first thing to do? But, but we just reverted back to the things that made us who we were. We, we reminded ourselves of the disciplines that we had that created our ability to, to sustain this business and to run it successfully. And we just, we just took our communication to the next level. And to me, that, that was the most important thing we did was enhance our communication. We, we went from weekly meetings to daily meetings. We went from daily meetings to hourly meetings. You know, everything that we needed to do and do next was predicated on having the ability to communicate and communicate frequently. And so my team was meeting, you know, we were all sent home middle of March, March 17th, March 18th, something like that. The entire economy was basically sent home from their work with the exception of maybe a few businesses. And we just took it upon ourselves that that wasn't going to change how we were going to execute, but we were just going to enhance how frequently we talked to one another. And so what it, it was, it was very, very challenging, but we had, we had a guarded confidence. We knew, we knew we were capable of surviving it. One of the biggest things people learn in their careers is how to communicate efficiently and effectively. Right. If that's over email, over speaking, if that's presenting to a group, not even a board of visitors, but maybe an entire you know, company as a whole. What was the messaging that you were putting out with the leadership team during that time to instill not only that confidence that you and the team were feeling, but also a sense of like security? Because obviously people are inherently scared during uncertain times. Well, I want to be really clear and say that, you know, our chief executive was, was leading that charge. You know, I was providing input to him. He was, he was asking me to, um, to start doing some modeling of our balance sheet and of our, our income statement to try to determine what those things would look like if our client started to slow down the payment process, if the banking system were shut down and you couldn't, you know, you couldn't fund one of our draws or any number of our draws, or, you know, if there wasn't a staff in the offices of our clients that could, could, could issue payment for the work that we were, that we were doing. So we were looking, we were looking for predictive ways in which, you know, our financial situation would, would change or could change. So our chief executive was taking us through all of the, you know, the possibilities of the things that could, could potentially go wrong in the construction and the operation side of the business. And what I was doing was listening to him describe, you know, the, the, the situation enough to kind of model it into the financial, to the financial condition of the company. So my messaging was really mostly input. It was, I was providing information to our team while they were making strategic operational decisions about where to take the business. So my role was much more supportive and not as much leadership. However, I had a knowledge, I had an expertise, I had, you know, an understanding of the things that were certainly critically important and how we should, you know, move and make the next move. And so, you know, I think through, you know, the knowledge and, and relationships and experiences that I had with my leadership team leading up to that, you know, those things gave me the, you know, the, the, 
the credibility that I needed with them in order to sort of guide them. So I would describe it as, you know, my role at the time was much more supportive and much less leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and my leadership sort of started to, to make itself, you know, more prevalent with my team and my group, my small group that was sort of running and supporting the financial side of our organization. And so as I answer your question, you know, this is where I believe, you know, you, you know, you really make the difference is, is, you know, no matter what it takes to get the work done so that our leadership can, team can, can, can see the financial situation of our company and make a decision around how to change is, you know, is predicated on our ability to produce it and, and to give transparency to it. And so staying in complete contact daily, you know, communication with my leadership team and our small group to support them was, was ultra important. I think that's key. Just like that, the clear lines of communication, being open and being forthright and like not yeah. trying to obfuscate at right. all because that's just going to hurt the company as a whole. Right. But one of the biggest things that everyone sort of saw, and this sort of where I love to get involved a little bit is in logistics, is in supply chain. Construction had one of the biggest jumps in cost of goods. Right. I mean, you're talking lumber prices that were doubling, tripling labor that was going through the roof because no one was working. All this kind of stuff was affecting your bottom line ultimately. And that was the number that you were responsible for. What was that like and how painful was that for you to be like, Where's all my profit going? It's yeah. going to these goods. Right. It was very painful. I mean, it, you know, much of this pressure fell on the, the leadership of the teams that were operating the business units in our construction practice. And so, you know, this is where relationships really matter. You, you have to be able to confront your client and explain to them the situation and try your best to, you know, to share the problem and, and help provide solutions. So, you know, margin protection was the, the most important piece of that. And so working in construction, especially general contracting, the margin is already razor thin. You're in, you're in a very high risk industry and a very razor thin margin. And so uh, it has to come down to the contractual relationship that you have with your client. But more importantly, it comes down to your ability to work with the client relationally and convince them, you know, what you need to do to operate soundly in support of their project. And it was, it was difficult. It was difficult. We, we had built a model in terms of, of the clients that we serve. We, 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 you know, we built a company on doing business with people that we, that we know we like, we trust. And, and I'm using words that members of our team use all the time, but we choose our clients based on relationship. And so having soundness there when you're, when you're confronted with something like a pandemic and a supply chain shortage is going to matter, is going to matter more than anything, because you've got to be able to convince your client that, that we have to work together to solve the problem. I think that's the collaboration aspect is something that obviously everyone talks about nowadays, but in practice, it's sort of hard to see. So I think that's a great way of demonstrating collaboration inside of the business field, especially the financial field, first and foremost, because money makes the world go round. It definitely lubricates relationships sometimes. One of the other things that I sort of want to talk to you about is your perspective on Birmingham. Obviously, a lot of construction has gone on in the past couple of years. A lot of redevelopment projects Mm -hmm. have popped up here and there, which 
I think the Pizzitz is one of the ones that I, I mm-hmm. love to refer to as like taking an old building, restoring it, and still keeping that historical mm-hmm. value. I mean, you see it on campus at Alabama all the time is that they have these old buildings that they're renovating from the inside to make it a modern building, but still keeping the aesthetic of that old building mm-hmm. with it. Where do you think Birmingham is going to go in the next 10, 20 years or so? I think Birmingham is on a, a very good trajectory. I mean, I, I like what I'm seeing. I see see a resurgence back into the inner city. You know, I'm 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 watching a lot of the the real estate change in terms of the way that it looks and feels. I, I I've enjoyed being a part of it, but also you know watching the preservation of the the older construction, and and it's it's exciting to see. I mean, you know, Birmingham has always sort of lagged. Some of the other mid, small to mid-sized cities, in terms of its redevelopment, we you know we've watched a lot of cities our size get there much much quicker. You know, some of that can be you, know, you can blame a lot of that on a lot of, you know a lot of different things. I mean, our our you know our municipality system makes it a little difficult for the city of Birmingham to get the support that it needs from you know its citizens when they're all sort of members of a, a municipality outside of town, but. You know, for the most part, I think, I think I really like what I see. I see resurgence. I see growth. And I think in 10 years, Birmingham, you know, I could, you know, I could see a very strong, very vibrant, you know, very fun city to work in in 10 years. This is a great place to raise a family. We tell people all the time, you know, just like you described it, it is a hidden gem. You know, most people might not be able to find Birmingham on a map if they didn't, if they weren't, you know, from the South or Southeast, but it is a, it is a, Great place to raise a family. Now, unfortunately, I have to bring this up. And this is something that's near and dear to my heart, near and dear to your heart as well, is that your children did not choose to attend the University of Alabama. They went to a different school. Right. What has your involvement looked like since your graduation with Alabama? Have you gone back to football games, basketball yeah. games? What are we talking about? Yeah, no, that's a good question. It, you know, my children's choices, you know, I encouraged my, my, children to, to look around for schools. Um, and I didn't put a lot of pressure on that decision at all. In fact, I put zero pressure on where they should attend school. We looked first on what was interesting to them, and then they made the decision based upon their interests. And some of that was influenced by their friends at the time. So, yeah, it, it, those things took me away from the University of Alabama during the, during the years that they were in college. And so I did attend fewer football games, but I didn't attend a single football game at the other school. I might've gone to a tailgate party or two or three, but, you know, I've had to, I've had to, you know, reprioritize my life. My, my children were, you know, vested somewhere else. And so, you know, I, when when I had a weekend available, sometimes I would travel to the other school to find them, you know, to to spend time with them. But I will tell you that, yes, I occasionally will get to a football game. I will occasionally get to a basketball game. It used to be a really important part of my life to get to all of them. My priorities have changed, and I just don't get to them as frequently as I would like to. But I'm still very much a big fan, and I do keep track of it, and I always try to make sure that I'm in front of a television when a very important, you know, game is on, on television. But I will say this, you know, I cherish my time at the university. It was a very special time for me. 
I grew up a lot during those years. I learned a lot about myself and it's, you know, it, it might be less about the athletics and more about, you know, the, the experience that I had, the relationships that I created there. But I do, I do stay in touch and I, you know, I'm sitting on the board of advisors with the, the university school of engineering. Our construction practice has always had a, an interest in the school of engineering in Alabama and a seat on their advisory board. And so I'm currently serving in that role. And so I get to, I get to campus at least two to three times a year, if not for those, for those meetings. But I do, I do have plans to get back and, and participate more. I'll roll tied to that. Roll tight. One last question. I need to ask this, and this is something that we already touched on a little bit here, but I have to ask it again is what is one memory that will last with you for the rest of your life that was granted by Alabama? One memory. It's hard to give you one memory, but you know, I, I think if, if I could pick one, it's, it's really a conglomeration of memories that are all kind of roll into one. And that is the, the involvement and the participation of, 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 of my, of my time in our, our university's Catholic student center. We were a close knit group of friends. We cared deeply about our faith. We wanted to share it with each other. You know, we did a lot of really good things together as a group. You know, we created some long lasting relationships, many of them are, that are still very much close to me today. And so we did a lot of things together that created a lot of memories, but it is, it is that, it is that memory of that group of men and women that is, you know, that, that is what I think of when I think about my time at the University of Alabama. That's Jeremy D. Piazza, CFO of Hork Construction. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, do subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide. <laughs>